the story of two dental hygienists from opposite sides of the world who became friends because they realized their professional lives were so in sync. One in Australia and one in America, both exuding their high passion for high-level patient care, both pushing back on legacy dentistry. If you are ready to revolutionize the practice of dental hygiene through science and innovation, join us as we are Disrupting Dentistry. Welcome to another episode of the Disrupting Dentistry podcast. If you're new here, welcome. If you're a disruptor, welcome back. My name is Melissa. I am your American Dental Hygiene host. And my name is Tabitha and I'm your Australian host and we're really excited to have you listening with us again today. So today we're going to discuss during a host chat episode, dental anxiety and fear. It is something that every dental hygienist has experienced. Even as a dental hygiene student, you've experienced this. So we're going to tackle this subject and this is actually part two in our series, our host chat series, and we're going to follow this up with a third episode with some strategies that you can use chairside to help reduce uh, patient anxiety. So uh, let's just dive in. Um, Fear and anxiety towards a dentist and dental treatment are both significant characteristics that are going to contribute to the avoidance of dental care. Anxiety associated with the thought of visiting the dentist for preventative care and over dental procedures is referred to as dental anxiety, and it's been cited as the fifth most common cause of anxiety. Anxiety is an emotional state that produces the actual encounter with threatening stimuli, which sometimes is not even identifiable, and it's normally experienced in day-to-day life, such as during exams or while making critical decisions, uh, could be happening in the workplace or in several other circumstances. Fear is a reaction to a known or perceived threat or danger, and it leads to a fight or flight stimulation. Dental fear is a reaction to threatening stimuli in dental situations. Phobia is persistent and unrealistic and intense fear of specific stimuli that leads to a complete avoidance of the perceived perceived danger. So I think all of us have probably experienced these patients and it's something that we chat about a lot when we're um, through so many of the episodes about how a lot of times too patients don't always present or say that they've got fear, they'll present with aggression or they'll present in other ways. So I think this is really important that we discuss this because I think we've probably got more anxious patients than non-anxious patients. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, like, and I also think it's really important that sometimes we acknowledge for some of these patients that um, they have a real reason to have this anxiety, especially when we think about some of our older patients who went through a very different era of dentistry. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And they actually went through, they, they really did experience horrible dentistry. Yeah. But there's no other way to say it. Yeah. Like, you know, some of the stories patients have told me about when they had a pedal drill, mm-hmm. that wouldn't have been very nice. Or when they weren't numbed up properly as small kids for fillings and extractions and, um, you know, or like even I had a patient tell me that um, they developed a fear of the dentist because as a child the dentist that they used to see was before gloves mm-hmm. and um, he would smoke while treating them and then put like his nicotine smoky hands in their mouth and I was like, oh, God. That is terrible. And they said, they just hated it. And now they still just, and I'm like, 
uh, gross. I would hate that too. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. And, and I mean, I, I've had all these similar kind of stories, not that one, not that intense one. I actually yeah. had a patient who, because um, we would do a lot of sedation uh, cases in my one practice. And um, we had a, one patient, this is a terrible story, but while he was a child during treatment, the dentist had a heart attack and died on top of him. Oh, and so he had tremendous fear and anxiety to come in. Just walking through the door, like ignited or triggered this this response. So we would have uh, the anesthesiologist come in and actually sedate him and twilight sedate him and put him under. And he would start yelling and carrying on even while he was under. It was it was really intense. Um, but we would just book as much treatment as possible and like a full day block while the anesthesiologist was there and try to get all of the patient's treatment done. But because this one practice offered that, yeah, terrible, terrible. But because this one practice offered that service and at the time there wasn't a lot of practices that offered it, we would hear a lot of terrible stories that people come in that were just like walking through the door. Like that's something that I think that we don't understand so much because we get so desensitized to what we do that just walking through the threshold of that door is tough for some people. And and just really like having, instead of being like, oh my God, this patient on the schedule, we say this all the time, like this patient's a pain in the ass. They make it so difficult. They freak out about everything. If you just kind of expect it from them and know that it's going to come and not take it personally and realize that it's, they're not doing it to be rude. They're not doing it to make your day hard. They're doing it because it comes from a place of actual fear and anxiety. And, and, you know, who cares how they got that way? But it's our yeah. job to really try to, you know, make them feel as comfortable as possible. And when we do that, they might reduce those behaviors in the chair and, and become better patients as a result. But, you know, everybody has a story and we're not there to judge. We're there to react and respond and to keep them as comfortable as they can and hopefully create a new habit loop with coming to the office rather than one of fear that that causes them to kind of act out in a negative way and just help them start to feel yeah. comfortable. I think, yeah, remembering like for some of our younger clinicians that might listen, like you've never really may have heard about somehow kind of barbaric old school dentistry really could be. So like there's valid reasons why some people are quite scared to come or, you know, they grew up in different countries to where you're treating now where the standards and the type of care they got is very different to the type of care that we got. I have a friend that has extreme dental phobia. And um, it actually started from when she was a kid, the country that she grew up in, they didn't give local anesthetic and she got teeth pulled out with no anesthetic. Oh my gosh. I can't even imagine. She has extreme, extreme um, fear. So, you know, we can't even imagine how horrific that would be. So not everyone grew up maybe in Australia or America with a standard of care that we expect, you know, because she's not that old. She grew up in a, in a, in a very different type of place where that kind of care wasn't offered. So um, people can come into your office maybe in, you know, a, a nice Western country, but that's not how they grew up. Right. And that's not what they experienced. They experienced very different. And, you know, or they didn't have family members that knew a lot about oral health literacy. Right. And, you know, and then so therefore they've had to have their first couple of experiences in the dental chairs quite you know, extractions or fillings and 
and needles and they didn't get that desensitization and the visit and the ride in the chair and all the things that we wish kids could start off with but that's right. not always the case right they might start with pain as their first visit to the dentist yeah I actually had an accident when I was little and um I knocked my front teeth through my bottom lip and back up into the gums Oof. so I nearly took my lip off like an, a plastic surgeon put my lip back on and I had like four front teeth pushed up into the gums and I lived at the dentist as a small kid because we were like getting lots of stuff done and but I was really lucky but I remember the dentist really fondly he was really nice and he kept giving me treats when I was in there all the time so I was like oh, I like <laughs> it's fine but you know not everybody you know I had a trauma case but that could have been could have gone a completely different way yeah but I always got to get out of going to school and I got the morning off and <laughs> I used to do that with my grandmother. Wait, I'm going to be school to the dentist. <laughs> Whenever my grandmother took me for my ortho adjustments, I'd be like, Grammy, I don't want to go to school. She'd be like, okay, honey. <laughs> and then you're like, yeah, it's yeah, all you know, it's not really positive. Oh, just do that. Yeah. You know, and then sometimes people have no reason for their fear. Absolutely. And that's normal as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, when someone has, you know, that can just be there like, oh, I have an irrational fear of monkeys. <laughs> I have no reason to have this irrational fear of monkeys, but I'm petrified of them. And I have been since I was really little. Um, and, you know, I have no real, I, like I've never been touched by a monkey. No monkeys attacked me, but I still am petrified of them. <laughs> it's the same thing with, with dentistry. Not everyone had to have a negative experience. Right. It can just be something that's a a phobia or a fear for them that there's no explaining why mm-hmm. but it but it is it doesn't change the fact that it is like it still has to be treated really seriously absolutely it could be sensory too you know some people don't yes. like the sounds or don't like you so close to them or touching them yeah. just feel very in a vulnerable position um and i've had patients who you know they as as they've gone through their adult life and had more dentistry done they developed an anxiety. Like I had one woman say yeah. to me that I don't know why this is something new and it just started happening. And I feel so anxious every time I come and she goes, and then I beat myself up because I'm like, why am I feeling this way? I shouldn't feel this way. And so, yeah, people share yeah. a lot of their stories and I think it's important to be a good listener and the yeah. more you can listen and ask questions and let them know that you want to partner with them to make their experiences better good as you could possibly make it, um, it it helps open the door to at least have conversations. Um, We've said multiple times in the show in the past, like letting people, let your patient know that they're in control just by saying, all you have to do is raise your hand and I'll stop. That helps them feel like they have some power in a very vulnerable position. So there's a lot of little things that you could do to help just reduce the amount of fear that they may have during during their appointments. 100%. So I suppose really um, explaining now is what's the difference between a dental phobia, like a fear of dentists, and severe um, fear of dental treatment. So dental phobia is an extreme fear that is out of proportion to the situation. People with dental phobia avoid seeing the dentist even when they have very poor oral health, like dental health. And the problems is they may affect the person's relationships, job prospects as well. And, you know, we think about that, I think, you know, if you're um, missing a front tooth or have decay in your front teeth, 
how likely are you going to go well in that job interview? Yeah, absolutely. That's going to really affect employment opportunities or, you know, are you even going to put yourself out there to be, you know, with friends or relationships or, um, you know, if it's then affecting you psychologically, how you feel about yourself as well. It really can have a flow on effect to so many aspects of that patient's life, um, which is, you know, it's really horrible to think that people avoid doing things because of that. Right. Um, severe fear of dental treatment involves feelings of distress, but these feelings aren't as extreme as dental phobia. People with dental anxiety worry a lot about pain or stress at the dental surgery, but they're still likely to see that oral health professional for treatment, unlike those with the dental phobia. Um, it's very common though. We see, you know, we see it all day, every day. Yeah. Um, in some of the statistics that we have here, about 36% of people in the US have a fear of dental treatment, 12% having an extreme fear, and about 3% of adults in industrialised countries have dental phobia and avoid going to the de- to the dental surgery at all. I thought it would be higher, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. I feel like you, you know, it's probably yeah. a piece of it with studies and how, you know, the pool and such, because I yeah. think that if you did more of like a practice-based research study, it would, those numbers would be way higher than that. Um yeah. You know, because it, and it's just, again, varying degrees of what is, what is fear versus phobia. And, you know, I would say out of yeah. an eight patient day, probably seven of them have some sort of fear or anxiety about being in that chair. Yeah. So. I don't think many walk in and go, I'm so excited to be here today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, there are, yeah. there are a few, but I find too, it yeah. seems to be like, younger generations because our generation preventative care was part of what we got we grew up with that treatment so now like generations younger than us and beyond that that seems to be in in, like you said in in most areas not every area more of the common practice so there is more of that desensitization there's more of that focus of prevention um you know the the boomer generation didn't really have that so they had more carry they had more lost teeth they had more you know, those are the patients that we see with these full hybrid uh, cases with implants as well. But, you know, every every story is, is, is a bit different. So we have to be able to, of course, always adjust. And sometimes um, people with dental phobia, it might not be about the whole experience. It might be yeah. about a specific thing. So some things that uh, people with dental phobia could be afraid of is, you know, anesthetic and getting that local anesthesia for that treatment. So um, that alone, you know, sometimes I know, I'm sure you could agree, Tab, that, you know, when you're enrolling a patient into non-surgical periodontal therapy, and if you're using local for that, you know, I used to joke with patients and say, that's the worst part of the treatment. Um, But, you know, there's, there's, we've evolved so much that there's ways and strategies to be able to treat these patients comprehensively without even needing local anesthesia. So that's really an amazing value for you. A new product you and I have been playing around with. Yes, yes. So that's that's a coming yeah. soon episode. We're not going to spoiler yeah. alert it more than that, but yeah, I but actually like, had a chance to use it cheerside, and it's phenomenal. So I'm super excited. Yeah, I think it's a game changer in dentistry, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. Um, but yeah, I think you know, being careful. Like if if someone ticks, like a lot of times people put on a medical history. Do you have a fear of the dental practice? But then. Are you clicking down on that? And then if the patient puts yes, well, why? What is it? What's your trigger? So if they say local anesthetic, then think about 
how necessary is it? Is this a small little buckle restorations that that we could maybe get away with not having local anesthetic for, or do we need to use something else? Or at least if you are going to use it, discussing with them, all right, making sure you're not just pulling it out and waving it in front right, of them right. and like freaking, them out, you know, using it, you know, doing it behind them so they're not seeing it. Talk like I find sometimes asking them if I talk to you through this whole process and distract you, does that help you or does that make you more stressed? Do you want complete silence where you get this local anesthetic? Like what? Ask like you know, really make sure we ask them what is it that exactly triggers you? Is it seeing it? So if you don't see it, you feel a bit better. Or is it not knowing what's happening and you want to actually have the whole procedure explained to you? Like now I'm going to actually take the lid off and I'm going to do it. Some people want that because they don't want any surprises because that's been the fear for them. Someone's done stuff without their permission. So, you know, it's really important that when you ask those questions that you have the follow-up questions. Absolutely. You always control conversations with questions and the more data, I feel like for us as dental professionals, the more data we can gather from our patients, the better. And, you know, who cares if you're 10 minutes behind schedule because you needed to ask a few more questions. If it's going to change that patient's experience, that ultimately in future appointments makes your life easier. So it's worth that investment in time, in my opinion, asking patients questions like that. And then there's other things too yeah. you can share with your doctor. Um, one doctor that I work with used, because um, he does a lot of surgical procedures, he uses a buffering anesthetic. So that helps make it less... Um, you know, less sensitive as the anesthesia enters into the tissue. So there's other options that we could do, small little things that we could do to make it easier for our patients. Um, You know, so asking those questions is is of a huge, huge importance and helps mitigate a lot of the issues that your patients will experience. Um, Some people have a fear of blood and you, we all know that that's, that's in our operatories and our surgeries, that's, that's there. That's part of what we do. So, you know, and, uh, even seeing, the I cost. think it's important to like, like if you, you know, like sometimes you know how you've got a lot of balls on your tray and it's, it's filled with blood yeah. because you've got a really, you know, you have some of those cases where in your head, you're like, got a bleed up because yeah. like, it's like blood bath, you know, like, well, like before they sit up, throw that gauze out, right? like get rid of it so that they don't have to see that all the tray. And then I also think it's important like if I know that when the patient's going to maybe have a rinse, they're going to see blood, tell them. Yes, yes. You're going to see some blood when you rinse out right now. Mm-hmm. Don't be alarmed. It's okay. Absolutely. Because if you don't say anything and then they just spit out all this blood, that can really freak them out. 100%. And, and you get so blasé because, you know, it's just like, yeah. Right, because, we're again, we're just so desensitized. It's part of what we do. It is what yeah. it is. Like we don't think about the impact that it has on other people. So just – you know, having the, I think it's so important as a dental or any healthcare professional to have the ability to look outside of yourself and how this affects just you and be cognizant mm-hmm. of that person in the chair. And, and how can I, you know, curate what I'm doing to make it as best as I can for them. And and that's not something that's always done. We're, we're just, I don't mean to like talk negative about us, but we have so much to do in such a short period to, of time to do it that we think so much about ourselves and we don't always stop and think about them and the impact that it's having. But if we take that time and we make that investment, I swear to you, it actually pays dividends in the end because your appointments will go smoother. So it's so yeah. worth doing it. 
Um, we've all had that patient that we don't, they don't want us to sit them back because they have this fear of choking. And sometimes when they lay back a certain way, it like cuts off their airway and they could be very exaggerative about it. They, you know, I've had them too, where you, they, you haven't even put like x-ray sensor in their mouth and they're already like <coughs> choking and like being all flailing and this and that. So, but this is a real fear that people have. Oh, I had a patient last week, Melissa, they got into the chair but they sat down like so I haven't touched the chair yet it's in the very upright position and she said to me oh you've laid this back a bit far do you think you can sit it up I'm like actually no I can't because this is as far as it sits up you were sitting directly up <laughs> and I looked at my nurse and I was like oh it's gonna be a long appointment <laughs> those are tough but you know but I think it is that choking you know that feeling out of control when they're laying back yeah. um, and I think then giving those, letting those patients have a lot of breaks. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, so that you can, like, you know, like me stopping and letting the assistant suction so that, you know, you're really controlling the water, letting them have a little breather going, are you okay? How are you going? And sometimes when they're like, yeah, I'm fine, I'm fine, it makes them start to feel even more comfortable because they're like, you can go longer than this. And you're like, you're okay, yeah. then you let's keep going. But really making them feel in control. But some patients as well, like patients with Parkinson's or um, sometimes MS or other muscle muscle degenerative disorders, choking can actually be a hazard for them. Yeah. So being careful and being really aware that, one, they've got a fear of it, but actually it can really happen easily for them. So treating them with a lot of care and respect, especially older patients that might start to be having problems or if you're going into aged care facilities and treating patients, them actually choke, choking more easily is a risk. And so we do have to really be quite careful for them. But imagine the fear of you losing that muscle tone in your throat and, it, and you do have those things. Making sure they feel comfortable and not scared is, is really important. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because that's, that's a huge, I mean, anytime somebody feels like they're choking, it's a scary experience. Yeah. Um, now, the dentist, the, just the dentist themselves is, you know, people have this negative association and fearful feelings. Like if somebody says, hi, I'm a dentist, they're like, oof, you know, and. <laughs> or like I've opened the waiting room door and patients are like, oh, you know, and it's hard. I think in phases of your career, you take that personally as an insult. Yeah. And then you kind of get like you have an attitude and you get a little pissy and nasty with the patient. And then that just creates like turmoil in your operatory and the whole appointment totally stinks. So you have to learn, you have to really like grow a suit of armor as a dental professional and know that people don't like what we do and be okay with it. And just yeah. really try to flip the funnel on that and really try to help them understand that, that you're going to do everything you can to make them comfortable so that we can have, you know, you can beat the stigma. You can be that, that dental professional that isn't the way that they assume it's going to be. Yeah. So just knowing that. I say to you, when patients walk in and say, oh, I hate the dentist. I'm like, lucky you're not seeing one today. I say that too. I'm like, good thing for us. I'm not a dentist. I'm not a dentist. <laughs> Lucky you. <laughs> they don't know what to do. And I always like have a bit of a giggle when I say it. Or when patients say to me, oh, your job is so gross. Like you're looking in people's mouths and all that spit. I can't think of a worse job. I always say, I can think of worse jobs. Yeah. I said, I can think of worse holes. Uh, this is fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, I don't know. I wouldn't want to be a proctologist. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't even want to be a podiatrist. But like, Yeah. No, I don't think I could deal with that. You know. I say to them, it's fine, it's fine. I actually don't mind it because sometimes I think they're saying that 
because they're actually thinking, I think my mouth is horrible and this is horrible that you have to see yeah. that. And so I always like to say, I actually don't find this bad. It doesn't worry me. I don't, I don't think about it. Yeah. So that they realise I'm not not thinking, oh, this is disgusting and I can't believe I have to do this. Absolutely. How many times do patients give you that disclaimer before they even sit in the chair? Like, I haven't done yeah. this and I haven't done that. And it's like they're feeling anxiety over the fact that they know they haven't provided yeah. themselves with the self-care that you instructed them to do. So they're already putting up that wall and and kind of like trying to self-soothe in a sense so that, you know, we won't like verbally yeah. beat them up. So because, again, that's, that's another yeah. trait as hygienists that we have. Like, we're going to... You didn't brush and floss, you know, and and we're going to yell at you for it. But that's not what we're there to do. We're not going to get behavior modifications or commitment to being consistent with something if we continue to perpetuate this negative perception around it. So really rewriting the narrative on what your patients perceive as a dental professional, like that you have an opportunity to do that. And and again, that's going to make your professional career a happier one. So you're in charge of that. You could do that. Um, patients also have phobia over the perception of pain, right? So a lot of the procedures that we do, there could be large amounts of pain, there could be small amounts of pain, but they have this perception that it's going to come and that it's going to hurt. And and some patients are hypersensitive and, and feel more discomfort than others. And, um, you know, and then other patients want you to, to get in there and dig because they feel like you didn't do a good job unless they feel pain. So we have this huge gamut of, you know, what they present to you in the chair. So again, it's, it's, it's being able to assess the situation with a patient and then reassure them in what is going to make them feel comfortable during your time with them. So I had a patient the other day who was just jumping around the chair, like, like physically, like I'm thinking, I can't treat you. You're moving so much. Yeah. And um, I really wasn't, I really hadn't started. <laughs> I was like, uh, this seems out of whack because I haven't really done anything to make you do this. And so I said to her, is it sensitive? And she's like, oh, it's so sensitive. I'm thinking, I don't know how. Like your saliva shouldn't be causing this. <laughs> um, so I got top- topical anesthetic and I wiped it on her tongue and I told her that it makes your whole mouth numb. And then she said, oh, my God, I'm so numb. And I'm like, you are so numb. And she lay perfectly still through the whole appointment. That's me. And then when the dentist came in to do the checkup, she goes, oh, my God, that numbing pace she has is amazing. And I was like, <laughs> I put it on a tongue. <laughs> but I actually do that a lot. I Because sometimes when, when you can kind of tell that there isn't that much sensitive, it's more fear. Yeah. And then you can put in that security blanket. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys have this product in Australia, but I've been using diclonin numbing rinse for years. A doctor I worked with years ago introduced me to it. You can get it compounded in the pharmacy and um, little tiny, tiny amounts, only 10 milliliters. And I have patients switch, switch with it for 30 seconds. I haven't put their chin down while they're swishing. So it doesn't touch the back of their throat because sometimes it numbs that and then they think they're choking. Um, and they, yeah, freak yeah but it numbs all the soft tissue. So it'll numb the tongue. It'll numb the, the gingival tissue as well. And let me tell you, girl, whew, the patient's just like you're describing. And it's so quick and easy yeah. to apply because they're just swishing with it. And it lasts for about 45 minutes to an hour. So it's like perfect for your wow. general appointment time. Yeah. 
That's really good. Yeah. So some one of the things I've observed, and I know I have this as well, because I'm a horrible broxer. I haven't started my myofunctional therapy treatment yet, but I, I can't wait to start it because I can't wait to see if it changes this. Um, but I've noticed that patients that are really bad broxers have extreme sensitivity in the maxillary interior. Like you can barely yeah. touch them, but they're like, you got to peel them off the ceiling. And those patients, especially because where's most of the calculus, mandibular interior, those patients, especially this product works phenomenal for them. So I think it's a, a commercially in the U.S. I think it's Diclon, Diclopro, um, but it's a really small bottle. So I've been getting it compounded by the pharmacy. I just use the same percentage as uh, the commercial product. And it's been amazing. Um, so we kind of, you know, Tab talked about needles before. That kind of goes hand in hand with local anesthesia. Yeah. Sometimes the noise and the smell of the practice triggers patients too. Like yeah. when I first started in dentistry, it had a really small eugenol. Eugenol is that? Yeah, eugenol smell. It, yeah. Like that distinct dental smell. Um, I love that. Smell. I kind of do too. <laughs> we're both the same brand of sicko. Um, <laughs> it's like oh, I'm home. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm like oh, relax. <laughs> but to some patients, smelling that smell, smelling that like very, um, I don't know. It, it's it's just that very anesthetic. Uh, clean type of, I, I can't even describe it, but the smells of the dental practice, the noise of the drill, the noise of the suction, yeah. all of those things, um, you know, could sensory trigger fear in patients. So we have to be real cognizant of that. Um, I've had patients like, I actually put, I have a um, diffuser in my operatory. I sometimes put essential oils on for patients just to help calm them down a little bit and cover that smell, put things like uh, lavender in there, or have like a calming, uh, mix of essential oils. I'll encourage them to bring their own headphones. I don't have the ability in my operatory yeah. to play like my own playlist. We have a centralized um, stereo, but I'll encourage them to bring their headphones. I've put on meditations for patients off my phone and just like a, a talking meditation for them while they're in the chair. So there's a lot of things that you could do that just, you know, make it a little bit easier for them. And they're so appreciative of that. I make all my patients listen to John Mayer. Well, of course you do. <laughs> no, I, I let them bring their own music sometimes too. But if you're listening to what I'm playing, I'm playing John Mayer nine times out of ten. And the thing I love about dentistry is because I see a different patient every hour, they don't know that I've been playing the same album all day. <laughs> Everybody else is like, oh, my God, Tabitha, if I hear that song one more time, I'm going to stop <laughs> So you're like, like just listening to it again. Sorry, I digress. Okay. <laughs> if, I just if, it's calming music. It makes me feel calm. If they know you, they love you for your passion and love for John Mayer. <laughs> John Mayer, if you're listening, please give me a backstage pass. But <laughs> please, if anyone deserves it, it's Tabitha. <laughs> um but yeah, I think especially being um talking about sounds though. Thinking about, you know, obviously inside the room we can put some headphones on them or something like that, especially if they mention that. But thinking about how patients feel in the waiting room, like how much can they hear from the obituary? So, like, it, can, can the practice play music in the waiting room or have something there so that they're not hearing? Like, we all work with our door shut mm -hmm. so that, you know, you are minimising the noise coming out because we're a big practice for a lot of surgeries. Otherwise, it's going to be really loud if everyone has their doors open. Yeah. 
I laugh too much as well, so the door has to be shut. But you know, like thinking of all, like if you know, because or I worked another practice where we all open, we all worked with our doors open, but we had a main door that went to the waiting room that shut, so that you, you couldn't hear the noise as much coming from yeah. stuff like that because that can be freaking people out in the waiting room, like just anticipating. Or the other day, a kid was getting their like a baby tooth extracted and they were like, the kid was being really loud and they were going, ah, ah. And I was like, oh, what are people thinking in the waiting room? You know, they could, that could be invoking so much fear in someone. You're like, oh, no. Absolutely. But, yeah, trying to minimise that waiting room noise, mm-hmm. I think, because that person that is sitting there scared to go in and then is feeling like the minutes before their appointment is turning into hours, because, you know, they're so scared and then they're hearing that noise as well. Right. It can be really overwhelming. And, you know, we don't notice sometimes. Uh, right. Again, we just become so desensitized to the sounds and the things that are going on. But And it's interesting because most of the practices I've worked in the U.S., we don't have doors on our operatories. Everything's very open. Mm-hmm. And even in our dental hygiene clinic with the students, we're in one big bay and there's six yeah. there and they're just divided by like small half walls so everybody can hear everything so you know oftentimes if a patient's struggling in one area everybody else is kind of looking over because you can hear yeah. everything that's happening so it's it's you know there's again and then even in, in situations like that there you have to be mindful of HIPAA and privacy and having conversations that other people aren't really hearing because sometimes these conversations and the questions you have to ask patients are are you know, that's personal information that other people shouldn't be hearing. So there's a, you know, again, for us, there's so many things we're juggling all at once in these kind of situations and trying to keep people comfortable. So it's just, you know, knowing the situation and being smart and strategic and trying to mitigate as much of that as possible. Yeah. There's also some other phobias that can um, make someone more likely to develop a dental phobia as well. So patients that have other phobias or have anxiety disorders, um, have a panic disorder or a substance use disorder can be linked more with this. And some of the phobias that are linked to dental phobia, and now you're going to giggle at my pronunciation so everyone can laugh in their car right now. <laughs> Alagophobia, which is a fear of pain, but I feel like we all have that, right? Yeah. <laughs> no one wants pain. This one I cannot say, which is emetidophobia, which is a fear of vomiting. You did a good job. Um, Happy phobia, which is a fear of being touched. Mm. And I actually have had a patient that had something similar to this and I was very annoyed because (laughs) when the patient came in and I got warned that they were anxious and then I put my hand on their shoulder and said, what causes you to be so anxious? (laughs) And she looked at me dead in the eye and said, being touched. And I was like, and I looked at I just looked at the notes and I thought, would it be nice if that colleague wrote, this was the fear, but didn't just write me a note, they're really anxious. <laughs> right. Attention to detail is so important. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, latrophobia, which is a fear of doctors. And then trypanophobia, which is a fear of needles, which we kind of talked about. So um, they're all other fears that people could have that then can be exacerbated by coming to the dental practice or can then cause dental phobia as well so you know just being and like kind of digging down when someone writes they have anxiety disorders and stuff like that what type of anxiety disorder do you have not just oh well they have anxiety disorder I'll just 
I'll put the umbrella name there and, and move on, yeah. like dig down a little bit more and kind of figure out. And then also like a family history of phobias, you know, sometimes parents are so scared they kind of pass that phobia on to their kids because the kids have come to the appointments with them or had a parent that's crying out sad about going in and this is a small child. So then they're like, well, my parents so scared about going to the dentist. So there must be something terrible about going right. there. And it actually causes some anxiety for that child as well because they're witnessing that and they don't really understand why. And then um, feeling embarrassed about going as well, you know, having someone so close to their face, worried about what their mouth looks like, being self-conscious about how they look, that can cause um, a lot of problems with that. Or feeling that out of control or helplessness in the chair can cause that phobia. You know, we have to remember we're really in someone's personal space. They're laying down. They feel very vulnerable. They've got their mouth open. You're on kind of like on top of them. Um, I had a, I was teaching the other week. I was teaching in simulation lab and one of the male students, you know, like had their, I've got to try and explain this nicely. You know, we're sitting with the legs spread like we teach you to. And, you know, it, we teach them to put the head of the patient in line with your belly button. Mm-hmm. But he literally had the head of the patient in line with his crutch. Oh, geez. And like right in his crutch. <laughs> and, and like, but he got so close, his crutch was like on the patient's head. And I was like, um, so what do you think about your seating position right now? And he goes, good. I think it's good. I said, I think you're a sexual assault case waiting to happen. <laughs> and he goes, he goes, what? And I said, your crush is on that head. I said, you're getting struck off by opera and you've made that patient very uncomfortable. <laughs> and he didn't even, you know, he was just thinking about getting in and positioning and all of this stuff. But imagine how that patient's feeling that they're kind of, you know, smack down there, you're on top of them, you're really close to them, yeah. like you know, they've got things in their mouth, they feel like they can't breathe, they're feeling vulnerable. Like but we've got to kind of try and remember that one, like I don't feel anxious in the dental chair at all. I feel quite relaxed. I, yeah. So but that's we've got to make sure that just because you feel relaxed or because this is your work environment that you don't just assume everybody else does. Absolutely. And then if somebody's head is that close to your crotch, they're basically in a Trendelenburg position. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that's... That could be uncomfortable for someone too, you know, just having their legs higher than their head. You know. So, yeah, it, it is quite interesting working with the students, some of the things that they do. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I had a, the other day I was looking at the patient, like the simulation patient position, and I said, do you think the patient could, if it was a real patient, they could breathe in this position? <laughs> yes. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I'm not 100% sure they could. <laughs> But, you know, we have to just think about that. We're in that person's personal space, you know, and you don't know what's happened historically in their life as well. They, you know, if there's been abuse or anything in their life like that too, which we've talked about on other episodes, this kind of out of control and feeling helpless can really trigger that dental phobia as well or other phobias while in the chair. So, you know, just being really mindful of watching your patient a lot, you know, like I know we're trying to focus on this small area and do this amazing work. But looking at their hands, are they like grasping and you're seeing white knuckles? Are they are they getting clammy? Are they, you know, what, how are they acting and yeah. what are they looking like, you know, so that you can say, are you okay or do you need me to have a little break? But just keeping an eye on them so that you are seeing, 
you know, what's happening and, and, and do they need a little bit of a check-in? Yeah, that's absolutely. And we kind of covered some of this stuff already, but like simple triggers can just be coming into the office, looking or hearing or seeing the instruments, laying in the chair, um, seeing one of us, thinking about the visit. Those are all things that can just boom, trigger this, this dental phobia. And sometimes like uh, Tab was just talking about, you know, scanning the patient and kind of looking for signs that this is happening. Um, if they're shaking, they could be getting the chills because that could just be their body's response. Yeah. If they feel a little dizzy or lightheaded or, you know, you can notice that sometimes just walking them down to your chair if they need a minute or when they get back up from treatment, sometimes it was so, you know, mentally exhausting for them that their body shows these signs afterwards. Um, you can see that excessive sweating. You can see sometimes their face, they're wincing, they're they're responding to pain. Uh, They could be having heart palpitations. Uh, So if you're taking their blood pressure, doing that in the beginning of the appointment, sometimes you're going to, you know, they have white coats. So we're going to have an elevated reading. So trying to find ways to maybe talk to them and calm them down before doing that screening. Um, Nausea, shortness of breath, uh, trembling or shaking. They might have an upset stomach. They might need to go to the bathroom frequently. And we we can automatically get irritated by that because we only have X amount of time to finish this appointment. But this could be a response to their anxiety. Um, Sometimes patients even start to cry in the chair. Um, They might not be able to sleep before their appointment. I've had patients tell me that they think about this for weeks before they come in. So there's yeah. a lot of things. And, and if we think about like, what does your body do? What is the stress response? If cortisol is like pumping into your veins, that has a, a, a butterfly effect on their body. So if we can help reduce that for patients, I mean, that's, that's again, it's about, about the care that we're providing and the environment that we create for our patients and trying to reduce as much anxiety as possible. Yeah, 100%. I think just, you know, always, like I keep saying, just always trying to be nice and kind. Yeah, that kindness goes a long way. So um, I'm interested, Tabitha, do you know if there's any tests or, or an official diagnosis for dental phobia? Um, I assume you just send them to their doctor, right? And they deal with that. <laughs> <laughs> a psychologist? Well, you know what? Tell me, Melissa. You know what they've been doing actually for regular physicals, at least at my practice that I go to, my MD, every and my kids too. You have to help fill out a mental health evaluation every time you go. Yeah. So I'm wondering if that's something that we should maybe be simulating in the dental practice, asking questions in regards to dental phobia, at least for like that initial medical patient intake, so that we can ask some more of those questions within that that survey, and. Yeah, I think we definitely, like, our medical history forms, like, some places can, it can be very basic. Yeah. But, you know, even if you don't put in as much information, that fill-in, like, you need to sit down and really have time on that initial intake or the update um, forms to to read into answers and ask more questions. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And sometimes we might have yeah. to refer a patient to a, a mental health care provider or a psychologist or something and work in tandem. Yeah. Um, a lot of times too, dental uh, dentists will prescribe uh, some kind of anti-anxiety medication to take before yeah. coming to the office. We can use things like nitrous oxide as well, um, depending on where you're located and if that's in your scope of practice or if you have the certificate to be able to provide that for patients. Um, so there's there's a lot of ways that we could help kind of manage that. But it's interesting to see if, if we could start to 
utilize uh, some screen, simple screenings to help us get more information um, from our patients. So um, let's talk about some management and treatment um, besides, you know, using things like what I had just mentioned, um, the basic things that we've been utilizing so far in the practice you know, what are some other things that we could do? Um, some of the, the research shows us that patients can go through acupuncture um, to help reduce some of their dental phobia anxiety. They can also use cognitive behavioral therapy um, that helps you change the way you see and respond to situations and, and some of your triggers. Distraction techniques. Um, we talked about that a little bit with music or, or having a movie or a TV program on in the operatory if you have a TV available. Have you had a TV on the roof with your patients? Before? Yes, it's amazing. Um, yeah, but I we so one practice I worked at, we had Netflix on the roof, uh-huh. and the patient could like then just like put on whatever they wanted yeah. to watch, like which is good because otherwise, like I felt like when it's like free to air TV, there'd be ads on the yeah. world, or you know, certain times of the day, there's like nothing worth watching on TV, and um, but sometimes. The patients, one thing, the only thing, like it's good because it keeps them distracted, but sometimes they'd be laughing so much to be like, hang on, I'm trying to work because yeah. they're like giggling. And or a couple of times like I've looked up and I'm like, oh, my God, are those people having sex? Oh, I know. <laughs> I've had that happen too where something like totally inappropriate is on the TV and you feel so uncomfortable. <laughs> and like, oh, I know. You're, like, you're like, oops, just eyes down, eyes down. What are they watching? Oh, my God, turn it off. <laughs> right? And these are like the little things that nobody even talks about, but I'm sure everyone has experienced as <laughs> But it is a great, you know, it is great for them. And then on your lunch break, you can sometimes lay in your dental chair and watch TV, <laughs> which I may do sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, some other, but yeah, it's good. yeah, yeah, no, it's amazing. Um, some other distraction techniques we can help patients with is guided imagery, uh, using relaxation, visualization, positive suggestions to create this sense of well-being while they're in the chair. Um, thinking about sights, sounds, or smells. So that kind of goes in line with what I mentioned before. Like if you put on some kind of guided meditation for your patient and they're listening to that, maybe some soothing music in the background, that could be uh, quite helpful. Some patients can go through hypnotherapy and that's going to help them use guided relaxation techniques and focus on changing their perception in certain situations. That's good in all areas of life, not just in the dental chair. Um, other relaxation techniques. I did an episode on that. You can go back and listen to it. Mm-hmm. it yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, and then um, practicing deep breathing. Breathing is such an easy way to center a, an anxious patient. Just those deep breaths. Like yeah. the, um, I do um, meditation through a Ziva meditation. It's amazing if you want to check it out. But she calls it the 2X breath where you just take two really deep breaths through your nose and excel them in, in four. And it just... it instantly just soothes you. So always relying on that breath is a great way to calm a patient down. And then we mentioned this before, there's also sedation. You could do it with um, oral medications. You could do it with nitrous oxide. You could also, uh, patients can have IV sedation if it's a really extreme case. So there's some other options that are out there for patients. So um, I think we covered all the bases here. With, with talking about dental anxiety in the chair. Um, and we're, like I said, spoiler, I'm not going to spoil it, but we've got a third episode to kind of step in line with this. And we're going to talk about a great new um, 
technique that's going to help reduce a lot of anxiety, especially, I mean, it's going to do it in the restorative chair as well as the hygiene chair, but it's a legit game changer for patients in our chairs. No, I'm very excited to chat about that. It's been very cool to be looking into it. Yeah. So thank you everybody for listening along with us. We hope you're having a, a great week or, you know, wherever you are listening, hope that you are, you know, having a great walk or a great drive to work, <laughs> wherever that may be. And um, we look forward to you um, listening along with us in the next installment. Yes, absolutely. Thanks for being here. Um, if you have a second, please write us a review or uh, subscribe to our podcast and keep on disrupting. Bye. Bye. Hey, thank you again so much for tuning into the Disrupting Dentistry podcast. We love to hear from you viewers and we love that you join us for our episodes. Please make sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. And leave us a review. We love reading reviews from all over the world. It's one of the things that actually makes all the hard work feel really worth it when we get to see which episodes you're enjoying or some feedback that you give. So leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or write something on our Facebook or our Instagram page. We'd love to hear from you. And thanks so much for listening. Keep on disrupting.